uh, in, in honor of God's word, could we uh, stand up? Oh, I was, I saw the first one and it was the, all right. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. That's God's word. Amen. The weird thing about going through Psalm 119 is you think that it would get repetitive. Because if you really start to commit it to memory, it looks like you're saying the same thing over and over. But you're not. (laughs) Because God's word is inexhaustible. And you could have the greatest mind plumbs the deepest of depths and not get to the bottom. And at the same time, it's shallow enough for a kid to wade through it. It's one of my favorite quotes. I really like it. But starting with Psalm 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. To deal bountifully in the Hebrew is to treat a person well. But it begs the question, how could God deal well with sinful man? That would be kind of like me stepping up to a judge, guilty as charged, and saying, treat me well. When he would be justified in not showing no mercy because the condemnation is there. To ask God to treat me well is foolishness apart from the cross of Christ. Being we have no right to entreat a holy God expecting a good outcome, yet in Christ this request is granted. The request is made humbly by a servant, someone whose life is subject to God as a worshiper of God. That's what that Hebrew can mean, a servant slash worshiper of God. God. The purpose is to live as we recognize apart from God, we don't live. Many live, may live in Hebrew can mean to revive or be quickened. A, from sickness. B, from discouragement. C, from faintness. D, from death. Do we recognize this plea personally, or are we comfortable in this life apart from God? Because the whole point of being dealt well with is that we may live and do his will. Or keep your word, and word means what God has spoken. And we don't have to worry about living in ignorance because we got what God has spoken in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. 
We also recognize that our lives mean nothing if we live according to our own whims. We live to keep what God has spoken. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The need to hedge about and guard what God has spoken is serious indeed. The way of purity is only to be found in the pure word of God. Anybody remember the last eight verses in this psalm? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Do you see how that works? You can literally build off of this whole psalm from the preceding passages. And I think that was the intent of the Holy Spirit. Even then, still must our eyes be opened and uncovered from our deceitful hearts, so we plead to the Most High to help us with our mental and spiritual faculties as we look into his instruction. And that's what open in my eyes means, because very clearly the the writer of this was not blind. So he was talking about something more, about his mental and spiritual faculties. He recognized the need. Apart from the Spirit of God, bringing wisdom and discernment, the Word of God can be made null and void by worldly wisdom. So we entreat, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The Bible, is the Bible just a book to be read for religious instruction? Or is it much more? to you because we can have the exact opposite of that we can read it as very instructional very knowledgeable apart from the spirit of God as well too to help us become morally upright and good people but if you lack wisdom and discernment in the spirit of God it means nothing that's why we have a whole bunch of Christian cults today They looked into the word of God and tried to figure out how they could make themselves right with God by their own works, and now many are deceived. So it's a plea we need to take very serious when we go to read his word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law, because we can't open our own eyes. The instruction is so much more because of the author who penned it. To behold the word of God is difficult to understand, which is what wondrous things means. Hence the plea for a spirit of wisdom and discernment. Verse 19, I am a sojourner on earth, hide not your commandments from me. Now the psalmist acknowledges his temporary habitation on earth, knowing that eternity, the great reward, awaits. He is a resident alien, sojourner, with no inherent rights while on this earth, so he longs for his home. I don't know if anybody's ever been in another country where you were 
there illegally and you had no rights, and then you got arrested, but I have. It's pretty scary. You miss your home. Where you were born, where you had your God-given rights. And that's where we find them. Not in this world, not even in the country we stand in. Even we can say this as Americans. We are sojourners. Earth is not my home. I'm looking forward to a kingdom immeasurably better and greater. And the rights are pretty good, and we also don't have to worry about politicians stealing them. So. <laughs> Just saying, we're getting close to midterms. There'll be more about that. <laughs> He pleads with God to not cover all that God has commanded. Not one jot or tittle, but he desires the full revelation. What a desire we should all have for the word of God. May the spirit of God stoke the fires of desire in us for the inexhaustible, unchanging, eternal word of God. That means the whole counsel. When he says, do not cover it from me, he says, show it all to me. Because a lot of times we like to say, you know, I like that, but nah, I don't like that. You know, the great tribulation in Revelation, if you're honest, does not sound too thrilling. In fact, Revelation is very terrifying. You know, but it's the whole council. He says, do not cover any of it from me. That's his desire. His desire isn't for this or that. It's for all of it. And that is the desire that we should have if we have God's Spirit within us. Because God's Spirit's not going to reject His own Word. And He's going to work through all the Word, not some of it. In verse 20, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. So great is the desire for what the divine judge has ruled to be right that the pressure reaches into the seat of the appetites. Man does not live on bread alone. How a soul thirsts for God like a deer in a dry parched land. It sinks into the seat of his emotions who rejoices in the word like one who finds great spoil, the joy of our salvation. It sinks into the seat of our passions as the passions of the bloodshed overflows into our souls, covering us and declaring us new. So much so that activity of the mind, a renewed mind too, with an activity of will that is no longer mine. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. An activity of the character of Christ in us, the hope of glory, the desire is so intense that the consuming can be referred to as a crushing this longing at all times, not sometimes or special times, but now. That's what all times means in the Hebrew. It means now. So it means at that very present moment, perpetually. And that's extremely important. Because if our soul is not consumed with longing for what God has for us, then you can guarantee something else will be consuming it and it will be contrary to God. 
Verse 21, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. To chide or rebuke could be a correction, which brings us back to God in in repentance or pushes us away from him as a sinner obstinately beat on his own destruction. This verse does not speak to the unbeliever, but rather the believer who goes astray morally and in their immorality alienate themselves from God with a sin-hardened heart. How heartbreaking it is to see those who claim to believe yet willingly stay ignorant of the word of God that would condemn their conscience. This is a willful and not accidental accidental progression as each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire which gives birth to sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. This, was, this wasn't speaking to Canaanites. It was speaking to Israelites within the context. Those who wander from your commandments and the wandering had to do with morally. The main characteristic of an accursed one is insolence, to be proud and haughty, with contempt of others, overbearing, domineering in power. The pride and deception of the devil manifests in the sinful heart of man. Take heed if any of these be in thee. Be rest assured, God can no longer tarry with thee. Verse 22, take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. And coincidentally, this is, this is the Sunday we pray for the persecuted church. It is a guarantee that the world will treat us as disgraced and disrespect us because we protect the word of God. We maintain a witness to the word of God and the God of our beloved word. And that's what keep means, to guard, to protect, to hedge about. To make sure nothing can get in and still it. We obey the word in the midst of slander, persecution, estrangement, and even death. To plead, The plea to take away scorn and contempt is a request to have God roll away this scorn and contempt. Because that's what it means in the Hebrew, roll away from me. I think we were talking about that in the Bible study this morning, how when you're in God, the insults and the hurt and the stuff that would cause you to anger happens to roll off of you, not stay on you and consume you. That is only something God can do, and that's why he makes the request. We will be belittled, but how God will roll it away by his immeasurable grace to strengthen us in this life and in his full glory in eternity. We shall never shy away from what God solemnly testifies to be his will because it is in his will we have salvation, which is so much more than anything this world has to offer. Verse 23, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. How true it is that the ruling authorities, and that's princes, head person of any rank or class, that's what it means in Hebrew, princes, 
keep in mind he's talking about his fellow Israelites. Those who claim to be in the nation of covenant who are plotting against him, the servant of God. They are sitting down in judgment with real threats to subdue the kingdom of God found in the body of Christ. Of course, this is true because the kingdom of God, which promotes worship of God and love for God first, man second, and lastly self, is the antithesis to any fallen system of a man that promotes worship of self and love for self. In the kingdom of God, the ruler takes the form of a servant. In the fallen system of man, the population is ruled over and subjugated. This is why the church has and always will be a threat to a dictatorial system of authority. We are not ignorant of this plotting, but we need not be so fixated on the plotting that we become ignorant of God. That's another trick of the enemy. Focus on the, the broken system and not yourself. Because I can guarantee it'll cause you to hate about 50% of the population. Do you see what they're doing? You can hate the action and love the person, but that doesn't mean you approach them in truth and love. Big difference. You don't just sit silent. Thankfully, God has given us a voice. Still, in other countries, you can't even have a Bible. You can get arrested for it. Here, we still have a voice, but do we voice it? But instead, we will meditate, put forth, muse, commune, speak, complain, ponder on about what our divine lawgiver has laid down. And that's what it means to meditate on the word of God. In fact, a lot of the persecuted church, that's what they did when a regime came in that was very anti-Christian, and not just anti-Christian, but violent and murderous. They didn't have time to hold a, a rally and rally against them to get the vote. They kept doing what they were doing before, and that's fixating on God and meditating on his kingdom, his word, and his purpose in their life. And coincidentally, a lot of the oppressors came to the Lord and still are coming to the Lord. So don't let that distraction take you away from what your real purpose is in God. Even though princes sit plotting against me, I will meditate on your law or statutes. In fact, when persecution does come, meditation on the word may be our only sustenance. Like so many martyrs before us who endured horrible circumstances with the sword of the Spirit safely locked away in their hearts. Like you guys know who Richard Wormbram is, right? Anybody know who he is? He's the founder of Voice of Martyrs. He spent 14 years in prison because when the Russians came in, 
They came in with an olive branch, but it was deception. They wanted all the church leaders to be subject to their new ideology, which was anti-Christian. They even went so far as to say the prophets of Marx, Heigl, Nietzsche, and Lenin. And a lot of the church leaders kowtowed to that. But not Wormbrand. He didn't, and because of that, he was imprisoned. But what kept him through his imprisonment was the fact that for every day of the year, he had one of those scriptures in the word of God memorized that said, do not fear. So when he was arrested, he asked his captors, what day is it? And they're like, are you crazy? You're getting arrested and you don't know what we're going to do to you. But all right, we'll tell you, it doesn't matter. And so they told him February 3rd, if I remember, and he recited the scripture that he had hidden in his heart for that day. So it might be our only sustenance. In fact, it should be our only sustenance in all reality. Because man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from. And it seems like God prepared him for the persecution. So the question is, are we equipped for persecution? Your testimonies are delight are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 24. The only delight that a servant of God should have is the delight of doing the will of his Father in heaven. To serve God should never be done begrudgingly. It is a joy to serve God in any capacity, no matter how big or small it may be. We have a teacher who is gentle and lowly in heart, and his yoke we find in his yoke we find rest for our souls because his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Have you accepted this yoke and delight to do his will? If not, you will suffer greatly in this life enslaved to your own selfish desires and suffer eternally in the next life. And eternally separated not just from God but under his wrath. Because most of your Satanists say, oh yeah, it's no problem to, to go to hell. It's going to be a big rock concert. No, it's going to be a concert where you're crushed by the rock, Jesus Christ. It's not going to be a rock concert. It's not going to be a place where you get to fulfill the selfish desires you enjoyed so much on this earth. It's going to be a place of eternal torment and wrath that nobody has ever experienced in this world. A lot of people like to say, oh, it's, it's hell on earth. I said, no, it isn't. If you've had any pleasure or joy, this isn't hell. Hell is devoid of that. There is no pleasure and joy. It's torment. And that should bother us for the lost. It shouldn't for lost family, co-workers, friends, persecutors and that's why we love them and give them the gospel no matter what because there's a very serious consequence and there's no uh, get out of hell free card once you're already there but if you find Christ yeah there, there is <laughs> before you die that's just specifically before you die
So the choice is yours, temporal pleasure for, e for eternal punishment or delight in to do a will, not your own, as a servant of Christ for eternal glory. That's quite the contrast. A servant finds his counsel, advice, and purpose in the word of God and nowhere else because God has proclaimed his plan and purpose for the redemption of man nowhere else but the 66 divinely inspired books of the Old and New Testament. The servant of God does not seek advice from any man whose source of wisdom is something other than the Bible, where the wisdom and will of God is fully revealed. Do, do you hear that? So we find our counsel, full counsel in the word of God, but if we're going to seek counsel from a fellow man or woman, they better be firmly in the word of God too, or you will be deceived. It'll play right to the whims of your fleshly desires. And you'll say, wow, that's really good. So don't be deceived. There's only one counsel, and that's the word of God. And that's what it literally means there. It says it means the counsel of many men. You know, your testimonies are a delight. They are my counselors. Like it would be the, the equivalent of a retinue of many counselors. Men full of wisdom. That's what the word of God is. To the servant of God who delights in his testimonies, which means what God testifies to be his will. And so, of course, now fortunately, I think, what is it, in two days? We're coming up to a very important thing. And that's the midterm elections. And so I'm going to ask, when we go to the voting booth, do we look at God's whole counsel to determine who we vote for? I would hope so too, because I found many Christians, first off, don't vote. And then they wonder why our country is becoming so anti-Christian and antagonistic toward Christianity through anti-Christian laws. Well, we say if you don't vote, you have no business complaining. That's the reason why. If we just had 40% of the evangelical vote, all the elections would be landslides if we voted according to godly principles by the full counsel of the word of God. Yeah, well, that's the other thing I was going to mention is that we vote even less in local elections. And then we show up to a school board meeting and, and wonder how our kids were being indoctrinated. We didn't investigate, so I won't investigate for five or ten minutes who is going to instruct my kid for 40-plus hours a week. Think about that. You know, we just don't give our kids the babysitters we have no clue about, do we, outside of school. So why wouldn't we do the same in our schools? And then we even go a step further. Say, oh, you're not allowed to talk about it. But realistically, what party is anti-Christian? Which party is it? Everybody's afraid to say it. 
because there's a fear of man stoked in us that we might be rejected if we say the Democrat Party is anti-Christian. But I'm not afraid to say it. And if it was to cause me trouble, so be it. But that is the problem. We need to vote according to biblical values. And if, the, if you don't consult the whole counsel of God, then it's not a counsel to be consulted with to begin with. It's the whole counsel, not some. Not a little. We delight to do God's will. And in delighting, we seek the whole counsel of God through his spirit and through each other. So I sweeten uh, uh, come up and do the last song. <clears throat>